Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Please open your Bibles to Jonah 1. This month we consider a clearer vision of God's heart. You know, one thing you may not know about me is what a great fisherman I am. I mean, just look at this recent catch that I made. Now, when you have a catch like this, one of the common questions you get is, man, what kind of bait did you use? Well, I have an unusual kind of bait. This is the bait that I used this time. Here's a bunch of them. Let's get a closer view, and you can see exactly what they look like at the head. They call this a lucan bait. And this is lucan bait, just this lucan worm just kind of worms its way into your life. Well, actually, you know, when you get to know Luke himself, he, he really does worm his way into your heart. You can't help but love the guy. Now, I'm getting all gushy now because he threw me under the bus last week. I wanted to feel really extra badly today about what he said last week. Anyway, that is a fishy story, totally untrue, of course. But the one we're going to look at in these few weeks in September is uh, what some would call a whale of a story, that it couldn't be true. But I want you to know that I believe what we have recorded in the Bible about Jonah the prophet is absolutely true. It really happened. Jonah is first mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 as being a prophet when Jeroboam II reigned in Israel. For a long time, Syria to the northeast of Israel was pushing themselves onto Israel, making sure that they would take them under. But there was a turn of events when Joash became king, and after him, his son Jeroboam II uh, took the helm. And uh, for a time, uh, for the first time actually, since the reign of David and Solomon, Israel was enjoying a relatively peaceful time in existence and a, and a good time of prosperity as well. But the Assyrians further out were increasing and advancing in military power and might. In a few decades, God would be sending the prophets of Amos and Hosea to warn Israel that his judgment was in coming upon his own people and they would fall. But not yet. Right now, God is extending his mercy to Assyria, the capital Syria of Assyria, that is Nineveh. This account of Jonah is a true account of a myriad of lessons about God's interactions with human beings, his guidance, his patience, his long-suffering, his love for sinners, his correction of believers. And we, like Jonah, need all those lessons. We don't have time to delve into deeply into all these lessons in four weeks. But perhaps we can, we can discover enough to give us much to feed on and love challenges for our lives. Here's the text, Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you? Make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord And made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In this first chapter, we witness, as we do so many times throughout Scripture, two things. Our great sin and God's great grace. First of all, God commands... The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh was known as a great city. It was a city of about 600,000 people at that time. It was already by Jonah's day a very old city, having been built by Nimrod, the grandson of Noah. Nineveh is the biggest, baddest, meanest, most powerful city in the world of that day. The treatment of their enemies in battle was horrendous and unspeakable. It is in this context that Jonah is commanded by God to go to Nineveh and and announce the hand of God was against them. That command would be like God coming to you and me and telling us to go to Tehran or Baghdad or Kabul and stand in the marketplace and announce the judgment of God against those places of the world, those countries, calling them to repentance. God does the same thing to us. His open orders to us sometimes seem crazy. There are any number of them. He says to forgive those who come against you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Give generously. Give sacrificially. Give cheerfully. Die to self. Love me more than your family. Lay down your life for the gospel. Other commands, particular To us individually, our hard commands to really obey, they may sound strange to us. They're difficult for us. Commands to us that are are difficult for us to take. It's happened to God's best servants throughout the scripture. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. Take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him to the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Moses. Go stand before Pharaoh and announce, let my people go. The word of the Lord came to Joshua. Take the people and march around Jericho for seven days. And then the end of seven days, march around seven times and then yell really loudly. The word of the Lord came to Gideon. Attack the Mennonites by marching toward them with trumpets and break pitchers. What? Are you kidding me? 
The word of the Lord came to David uh, to slay the giant. It's happened to our own mission partners. It happened to the Hardys. Go to Papua New Guinea and translate the scripture. Derek Dickinson planted church in Alaska, and he did. The Sudsburys plant churches in the Dominican Republic, and Ryan obeyed. Sometimes he comes to you and me in different ways, unique ways. Lead a D group. Lead a home group. Uh, start a spiritual conversation. Build a friendship with an unbeliever. Get ready to share your testimony. testimony. Invite your neighbors over that you've never really gotten acquainted with before. Let them know uh, your life and welcome them into your life. God's word is always coming to us. Account after account in scripture, and so many Christ followers have obeyed. Have you been obeying the word of the Lord? Do his orders to you recently look silly to you? Do they sound crazy to you? Are they uncomfortable for you? Are they challenging to you? Do they sound too hard, too demanding, too unreasonable? You may not know what to do. You may not know exactly how to respond. But one thing you have to decide, that you want to obey the word of the Lord. And I trust you do want to, and you will. And then Jonah runs. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Instead, he went to Tarshish. Here's the map, and you can see it outlined there. God told him to go east, and he goes west. And notice how far west he went. He went on the edge of the sea in what we know as Spain today. I mean, he went far away. It's the story of so many people. God says, go east, and they go west. Does that describe any of you today? But lately, you can even sense yourself going west when God has said, go east. Go where he wants you to go. Do what he wants you to do. Repent of what he wants you to repent of. Submit to whatever he wants you to surrender to. You see, this is the truth. The essence of sin is running from God. It seems to me that all of us today ought to be able to relate to that one truth and to Jonah's life. You know, in a large church, there are all kinds of people with various religious backgrounds. And my guess is there are some today who are watching, listening, in person, online, somewhere, or maybe on Facebook Facebook page you're going to be watching this. There are people today who are running. And runners are pretty obvious in most cases, not all cases. And there are runners that are outside the church, and there are runners inside the church. Consider the runners that are inside the church, outside the church, that is, the, the unbelievers. They run in different ways, and you can see them. They run refusing to reason that God exists or that he's interested or he's involved in our lives. They don't want to give the time necessary to actually delve in to the reasonability that faith is, is substantive, rooted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't want to make that decision. Some run by claiming a right to self-rule. In other words, I have a right to my life. I don't need authority. I don't need people telling me what to do. There are others that run. They run by, by a self-misconception. And what I mean by that is they truly believe that as long as they're nice people and they're moral people, that all is well between them and God. They run by believing that God's benevolence is limited. His grace is short. I was speaking to a, 
a young lady not long ago, not a part of, of our area, who is still grieving 30 years later after having an abortion. She said she lived in the context of sin and shame all the time, and any other pain that's come to her life, she says, is deserving of her because of what she did 30 years ago. Now, I don't know if she's going to find her way to Jesus Christ, but it was a joy for me to tell her, you know, this is exactly why Jesus came. He came to take your shame and your guilt so you would not have to keep bearing that. Our college students face one of the most spiritually challenging seasons they will ever know in their lives when they set foot on secular campuses, the centers for unbelief and liberal thought. Sadly, some of them lose their way because they leave home and they run away from parental restraint and God's restraint as if campus is a really good way to hide from God and where uh, his, a relationship with him becomes a moot point. More freedom, more toleration, fewer boundaries coupled with a godless worldview touted by the intelligentsia of our day. But don't write yourself or dismiss yourself. Because you can run right inside the church. Believers run as well. There's a kind of running from God the Bible calls self-righteousness. This is Jonah's kind of running. And the Apostle Paul says the nature of the human heart is the more people we feel better than, the better we feel about ourselves. That's what self-righteousness is. As long as there's somebody else that I can look down on, the better I feel about me. And so our self-righteousness is exposed by racism or by looking down our noses at racists or by snubbing immoral people, by snubbing those who haven't hurt in life as much as we've hurt in life, by looking down our noses at those who are more successful or more recognized or more educated than us. Self-righteousness shows its ugly face in countless ways if, if, if any of us look down on anybody for any reason, that is a kind of self-righteousness. Here's the gospel. All human beings have rebelled against the God who made us. We have destroyed our relationship with God. And, and it's only by God's mercy and his grace and his love and his kindness, his graciousness, that we can have any kind of relationship with him at all. And to the degree that you know that, you cannot feel superior to anyone else. Jonah's self-righteousness is exposed. Jonah was running from the Assyrians, not because he was afraid of them, but because he hated them. He felt superior to them. Now, here's the first step of Christianity. The first step a person has to make toward Christ. There has to be two things admitted. First of all, I have lived self-sufficiently, we must admit to. I like the challenge of a grocery store. If we go on vacation and we have to go get groceries in for the week, I like to be the one to go. I like to look at new things. I mean, I could probably live in Trader Joe's or Jungle Gyms and be really happy in places like that. But one thing I will not do in a grocery is ask where something is. It's a sign of great weakness, and I do not want to. I will find it somehow. You know, I can tell you nobody is as hopelessly lost as the man who won't admit he's hopelessly lost. And we are without Jesus. We also have to admit 
I have been a fugitive. Now, it may not seem like you are running from God, but that doesn't mean you haven't been. We can see that we've all run from God at some time. We still do. We still will spend time in Scripture, and we'll walk out of a message on a Sunday or during the week, wherever you hear a sermon preached, and close it without any any welcoming it in our hearts without any invitation of God to expose what's there. That is a kind of running from the word of the Lord. Unless you're willing to admit these two things, you just can't move on. Now, in spite of Jonah's response, God pursues. This account of Jonah is not only about sin, but it's about grace. What does God do with Jonah's disobedience? He sends a storm. And this storm gives us both good news and bad news about what it means to walk with God. First of all, the bad news. Whenever we sin, you can be sure there's a storm attached to it. Sin is very much like a lethal dose of radioactivity. You see, um, it's it's not like being shot with a bullet or run through with a sword. When you're exposed to radioactivity, you don't go, out. No, but, but it infests us. And it feels like everything is fine when, in fact, your inside is decaying. Sin always has a storm attached to it. You can't baffle it. You can't bargain with it. You can't flee from it. It's there. The storm comes with it. That's the bad news. Now, the good news is God sends a storm and a fish. And they're both in the shape of grace. He wants to wake Jonah up. He wants to get his attention, just like he does with you and me when the storms come. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to do that. And I want us to understand that under those waves, under the waves of that storm that comes when we've rebelled, we find love. They are waves of love. There's an old fairy tale about a a wicked witch in the middle of the forest. And people would come by, those sojourning, and need a place to rest. And she would invite them in, and she had a most comfortable bed for them. But what they didn't know is they were so comfortable, and she was working her evil magic through the night. And when they would wake up, they would find that they had turned to stone. But they were aware of it. They were stone, and they knew it. And she would take them and set them up in her statuary. Well, once there was a young man who came to her door needing a place to stay. And there was a servant girl that would help as always. But this particular servant girl had an eye for this young man. She thought she could really grow to love this man. And so the man, the man was about to go into the bed. And this servant girl threw on the bed sticks and stones and thorns and thistles. And she continued to do such things through the whole night. And when he got up in the morning, after sleeping so uncomfortably, he was grumpy, he was grouchy, he looked at her, and he said, what kind of place is this? And she said to him, the misery you know now really bothers you because you can't compare it to the misery your comfort would have brought. Those were sticks and thorns and thistles and stones of love I threw in there. 
God allows sticks and stones and thorns and storms into our lives to make us see how weak we are. He doesn't want us to end up at the end of life, end of time, just like stones, with a stoned heart, with a hard heart, with a confused mind, with darkened understanding. He wants us to know himself. You know, all our storms are trying to arouse us always to our greater need for God. He's always trying to bring us closer to himself. But you can't, re- you can't refuse the voice of God, the word of the Lord. You, ever, you watch the voice on television? I haven't watched a lot. I've watched it sometimes where somebody is auditioning and you got three celebrities who have their backs turned and they're just listening to the voice and they're trying to decide, uh, do I want to turn my chair around and invest in this voice or will I just want to stay to myself and let him go his own way? It's how we treat God, the superior voice. Will I turn my life toward him or will I keep my back toward him and just hope he goes his own way? Well, the storm got Jonah's attention immediately. He begins to think about God. And he says, my God is the God of heaven and earth. He's beginning to think of how awesome God is. And he's saying to himself, you know, how can I be so stupid to forget about my heritage as a Hebrew? I'm a Hebrew. God rescued his people out of, out of bondage, out of slavery centuries ago. I've seen his hand at work. How could I have, have treated him this way? How could I have gotten in this kind of predicament? It's the same for our disobedience. When we, when we disobey God's, God's voice, we are not harming just ourselves but other people. But Jonah, by his disobedience, what was happening? He was putting other men in danger. They were fearing for their lives. We do the same thing when we disobey God's great commandment, go and make disciples. And when we don't take that seriously, it's at the expense of others who will perish who don't know Jesus. On one of our early dates, I took Diana to a Reds game in Cincinnati. That's where we were going to school. It was the, the years of the great red machine, if you remember, some of you remember the great red machine. The bases were loaded. Davy Concepcion got to, the, got to bat and he, knocked, he hit a grand slam, knocking everybody in. In the middle of that great play, Diana says to me, have you ever noticed all the bugs around these lights? I, I couldn't believe it. She missed the greatest play of the game. And so often, what we do in our own lives as we focus on the day-to-day minutia that goes on, even our attention could go so much on the storms that are happening that we can't see clearly the bigger picture of what God wants to do in us and through us. So when these sailors throw Jonah in, what Jonah really finds is love under the waves. God put in the heart of the storm a provision for saving Jonah by supplying for him a fish. It wasn't until Jonah finally said, my life for theirs, with eyes on the Lord, that he could become again God's servant. It's to be our story as well. It's an odd story that the world doesn't get, and maybe you don't understand it yet. But to be a Christian means to learn that the way up is down. The way to live is to die to self. The way to find yourself is by finding him, the one who created you, 
The way to freedom is to surrender. The way of Jesus is to, is to, to utterly come to the Father in full obedience and submission. And by doing so, we are exalted by him as well. And we are joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus threw himself completely into the justice of God and found God's gracious provision. Have you thrown yourself into the center of God's will? Are you willing to be what he wants you to be? Without knowing, without knowing it, Jonah was really in the steps of Jesus Christ, who would say centuries later in his ministry in Matthew 12, as Jonah went into death for three days and came back out, so I will die and rise again. Jonah became the substitute for those fearful men on that ship. And Jesus stepped foot on the earth, and he stepped into the storm of God's wrath and justice and pain and agony that we might be saved. And so, my brothers and sisters, and those of you guests who may be watching online, we are challenged to live our lives in one of two ways. The way of Jonah, self-will, running as far west as we can, away from the center of God's command, or following the way of Jesus, who gives his life that others may live. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, the Bible says, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're so thankful that Jesus stepped into the storm, the tempest that began with absolute dependency as a baby, so vulnerable, who grew to be a man. And he wasn't ever just an ordinary person, but he was the God-man, God with us, Emmanuel. He stepped into the storm that this world would bring to him. He did it willfully. He went, he went into that storm, Father, of all the pain, all the suffering, that today we may have life. So, Father, as we hold these emblems today, may we be so grateful. I pray you find every heart broken before you and humbled before you and so thankful that there is someone who stepped in to our life that we may live. We thank you and we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.